This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Rockies opening day starter Kyle Freeland on the Rockies being counted out again. It's not new news. I mean, it's, it's been going on ever since, you know, 2019, really. I'm going to play with a chip on my shoulder every year, whether we're favorites or whether we're slated to take last place. Um, that's just, you know, who I am, how I was raised to play this game. Plus, great opening day memories in Rockies history. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts. And tell a friend. And happy opening day. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to show number 197. Just getting back from the road. And I have to be honest, I'm a little punchy today. Uh, The Dodgers and Rockies on Tuesday night played a night game because both teams were off and the Dodgers hate playing day games and they rarely take care of teams on getaway day. So rolled into bed. I literally, I looked at my clock and, um, or my phone. I don't have a clock in the room. Who has a clock anymore in their room? I don't even have a, I I have watches, but I rarely wear them. Um, Anyhow, I looked at my phone. I I got into bed at 4.59 a.m. And I stayed in bed till 10-ish, and then I had to get, you know, the day rolling. So a little punchy uh, today. Tomorrow, as we tape this, is opening day at home for the Rockies, which they do their home openers as well as anyone in baseball. You know that. I mean, downtown's rocking. Um, it's, it's a state holiday, as it should be everywhere. Uh, but uh, we we do things right with the Rockies home opener. And it got me thinking that the Rockies have provided historically in their 31 years some great moments on opening day. I mean, fabulous moments. And maybe the one that will always be first on the list is... EY back in 93 at Mile High Stadium. And the 3-2 pitch. Fly ball deep left field. It is Mile High and out of here. Charlie Jones, Mile High and out of here. That one's unforgettable. I was at the game and it was like shocking. The heck's going on here? That was right after the Rockies returned from playing the Mets. Speaking of the Mets, two years later, the Rockies open up and Dante Bichette christens Coors Field in the 14th inning, no less, against the Metropolitans. Dante Bichette. thing I'll always remember, that fist bump. He knew he got it. When you're as big and strong as Dante, when you hit it out, you knew you hit it out. And, and he had that fist bump toward the uh, toward the dugout and the Rockies walk-off winners against the Mets. And the other one that that is at the forefront of my mind always when you talk about opening days at home and yours as well, is when rookie and all-around great guy Clint Barmas takes the future Hall of Famer Trevor Hoffman deep. Thanks. This ball jack, deep left field, way back, take a good look. You won't see it from all. A walk-off, two-run shot from Clint Barbis. Oh, what a way to start 2005. Tell you what, Barmy in that April, remember, you know, he got hurt, broke his um, his collarbone, the um, mysterious 
injury, carrying deer meat. Uh, but he was off to a to a start that rivaled the start that Trevor Story had in his first month in the big leagues. Great guy though, Clint Barmas, and he supplied a lot of great, a lot of really good moments for the Rockies, but. Um, that had to be the top of the heap. Some opening day moments, and, and of course, we'll see what transpires on uh, Thursday. And as you listen to this, it may be already in the past, but uh, hopefully it was a Rockies winner. Impressions from the first several days of the season. First of all, begin baseball-wide. Uh, talked a lot about the pitch clock um, a week ago, how excited I was, how we will look back on this and say this was not a good thing, but a great thing for baseball. They're shaving in the neighborhood of 25 minutes off of games. You're not missing action. In fact, there's slightly more action. Uh, there's certainly more stolen base attempts with um, the the rule that affects pitchers and their ability to, to throw over. That one's a little more controversial, but I think we're all for action, and we're all for expedience. And less guys grabbing their crotch, less guys messing with their batting gloves, and more guys standing in the box and keeping this great game moving. So that was my number one impression. And I know there were, I don't want to call them hiccups, there were a couple of times where guys, you know, weren't ready to go. Manny Machado, when he tried to call timeout, that one's somewhat controversial. There's going to be some some rough moments. Manny ends up getting thrown out. There was another guy who got thrown out uh, in the opening week. But the numbers of violations were less than one per game. It was diminished even from the final days of spring training. And the product is better. And that's just the first few days of seeing it. Shifting also, you know, you saw more ground balls get through the right side in particular, slightly more. You also saw some some wonderful defensive plays that, you know, maybe you wouldn't have seen if there were three guys stationed on the right side. As for impressions with the Rockies, they got off to a great start in San Diego, had 17 hits and scoring seven runs on on opening day at Petco. They hit home runs the first few days there. They won the first two ball games uh, against the Padres. They got really good starts from Herman Marquez and Kyle Freeland. And then they hit you know, a bump in road. And then against the Dodgers, they, they seemingly always struggle against the Dodgers, and so many teams have. Uh, especially in Los Angeles, but you got to throw strikes. That's the one thing that, that that I came away with. Jose Arrania's been around. Jose is a back-end starter. Jose Arrania, when he's on, the ball's going to be in play. More often than not, it's going to be on the ground, and you're going to see some good starts from him where he can pitch six innings and – you know he's not going to give up a, a big run total because he doesn't give up a lot of home runs typically. But he has always struggled with the walk, and he did in his first start. A guy that that I'm excited about because he has great stuff, but he has to throw more strikes, and he knows this. He's a young guy in terms of major league experience, and that's 26 year old former Ohio State Buckeye Ryan Feltner. He's got the mid to upper 90s fastball. He's got a very good breaking ball. He's got a changeup. He has three pitches that you would, in the scouting vernacular, rate as plus pitches. But you have to locate. You have to command them. He walked five in his outing in Los Angeles. And they were close misses, really close misses. But you can't walk five. You just can't. 
It's the big leagues. You will pay a price. And he ultimately did. But overall, I'm excited about the upside with Ryan Feltner. And he puts in the work. He puts in the effort. And I, and I, my fingers are crossed that he figures it out. And we watch it unfold. I mean, he's only started 20 ball games uh, in his big league career. So he's in you know, the real early stages. Other impressions for the Rockies uh, in, the, in the opening few days. You know, C.J. Crone got off to a good start. C.J. can hit. Um, Charlie is a pro. Charlie Blackman, the second half of last year, really didn't hit any home runs. But he was on pace at one point to hit 25-plus. And I think, you know, he had off-season knee surgery, a little scope on his knee. You got to have your legs underneath you. And, and I know Charlie's going to be 37 later this summer. I, you're not going to see the 27-year-old version of Charlie Blackman. But I think there's 20 homers in there. I, I think there's, you know, 285 batting average. I, I think there's, again, a high quality at bat when the game's on the line with the opposition not real excited about facing him. And I thought he got off to a good start. Chris Bryant got off to a fabulous start. You know, as we as we speak here, the Rockies have played six games, and Bryant has at least one hit uh, in all of them. We know that he didn't play much last year. We know he had a battery of injuries, and we also know for the Rockies to make any noise, any conceivable thought of the Rockies surprising, they need 150 great games out of Chris Bryant. And uh, he's off to a solid start. The thing I'm going to focus on, and you'll hear me on television talk about this, and if you're you know, a diehard Rockies fan, the next generation. And the next generation is starting to um, show up. 21-year-old Ezekiel Tovar at short. Played a really good shortstop. Threw out a few hits um, in the first week on the road. He's not overwhelmed. And, and I think it just keeps getting better. Eloris Montero hit a line drive home run at Petco. We saw an opposite field double off the right field wall. We saw some strikeouts, especially when guys spin it to him. So how he adjusts and how much damage he can do when he gets fastballs to hit will determine you know, just what kind of player they have. But he's going to get every opportunity to play quite a bit uh, of third base. And, uh, you know, at least so far, uh, he was solid uh, defensively. As I've said before, he's not going to make anybody forget Nolan Arenado uh, with the glove. But he's a worker, and he has the chance to be impactful with the bat. So those were my impressions uh, on the Rockies through their first uh, handful of ball games. Hopefully they can make hay at home. You know they have to make hay at home. Uh, the first series is against... Uh, uh, a team that is in uh, spectacular rebuild mode, and that's the Washington Nationals. And then after that, we'll see, uh, you know, Nolan and Goldschmidt and the really talented St. Louis Cardinals before the Rockies head to Seattle. I thought I would kind of go around the horn today before we get to Kyle Freeland and, and check in with the other three major professional teams in town. The Broncos made a little bit of news this week because John Elway, it was announced, is not coming back as a consultant. I think 50 years from now, when we talk about the Broncos, and we'll be talking about the Broncos forever. They'll always be number one in our town. We know that. We're pro football town, first and foremost. And 50, 100 years from now, the number one Bronco, when they compile that list, I will be shocked if John Elway is still not the number one Bronco of all time. 
He has a special place for what he did on the field. And not just here in Denver. I think if you put a list together of the top five quarterbacks of all time, however you order them, you know, Brady and and Manning and Rodgers, and I don't want to leave anybody out. But John Elway's in that conversation. John Elway is in that conversation. John Elway will always have 97 and 98 and Terrell Davis and Shannon Sharp and, and those teams that captured back-to-back Super Bowls. And for that, even though the end of his tenure as a general manager does not look great, the drafts were less than spectacular. He has the playing career, and let's not forget, if John Elway is not the general manager, president of football operations, or whatever the additional title was, and the Broncos had Billy Bob Johnson as their general manager, in all likelihood, with all due respect to Billy Bob, Peyton Manning ain't signing in Denver. So John Elway was the general manager for 10 years. They went to two Super Bowls. They had the bad outing against Seattle. And then they came back and won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. So in 10 years, 20% of the time you go to a Super Bowl. How many teams would trade places with the Broncos for that record? And again, I come back to Peyton Manning ain't coming to Denver unless John Elway is their general manager. So it was easy to pile on Elway late in his executive career. John Elway's still the all-time great Bronco. On to the Colorado Avalanche. The Avalanche keep coming on, and they have gone through a myriad of injuries this year, as you well know. And they are going to be formidable in the postseason. Can they repeat? Well, they have the advantage of the Western Conference not being as deep as the Eastern Conference, led by the Boston Bruins right now. So you just got to get there. They certainly can do that. I think their ultimate success, and their ultimate success is can you, can you hoist another cup? And they're going to be in cup mode for a while with the roster that's been assembled by Joe Sackett. But it's going to come down to Gabriel Landeskog, for me and for you and for many others. And can he get back on the ice and function at a high enough level that he makes that that top six, their top six forwards, as formidable or close to as formidable as they were a year ago? He's going to bring toughness. He's going to bring leadership. And he's going to stand in front of the net. And if he can be a reasonable facsimile, and and I don't know, because, you know, as we tape, there's only a couple weeks left in the season, and he's not ready to go yet. Good news, he's on this road trip with the Avalanche, but he is not ready to play yet. So it's going to be tight. But if he can come back and he can be a reasonable facsimile of the guy that we've watched for a number of years, that does provide greater opportunity for for the avalanche to really not just make a lot of noise but be be the out the tough out that they were a year ago and, and perhaps hoist another cup this year we'll see on to the denver nuggets the nuggets have shown that they're leaking oil at times 
on nights where you figure they're going to show up and bring their A game and take care of business. There have been several times they have not, most notably as we tape against Houston when they could have wrapped up the uh, their, their the top spot in the West. That's concerning. And I will repeat something that I said a couple of weeks ago in regard to the Nuggets. And it's not like I study them every night. And I have been underwhelmed with the overall play in the NBA during the regular season. But when it comes to a big game, are they tough enough night in and night out? And that is what playoff basketball, as you know, in the NBA is all about. It's a different animal than what's played during the regular season. It's certainly a different animal than what is currently played in the regular season um, of the NBA in 2023. When they get knocked around a little bit, when a team brings physicality, can they answer it? I know Jokic can. We saw Murray in the bubble scored an outlandish level. Michael Porter Jr. is a finesse player. We've seen him on the bench late in games with the game on the line. Are they tough enough? They're talented enough. Are they tough enough? And that question is going to keep coming up. One more note on basketball before we get to our interview. I saw a piece with Magic Johnson. Everybody loves Magic Johnson. Great basketball players we know. Um entrepreneur. He owns, I think, everything in Los Angeles, part of the Dodgers, part of the Lakers. Well, he was telling a story um, that he was at Michael Jordan. He was at, let me, let me preface it with this. He was asked what he thinks of load management. Well, if you've listened to this show, you know what I think of load management. It's a crock of shit. I mean, you, it's unfair I understand the premise of it from a coaching standpoint, that it's all about the playoffs. We want guys well-rested. We want guys closer to 100% after the six-month season um, of 82 games. But I go back to what I said. Michael Jordan didn't take days off. Kobe Bryant didn't take days off. And they performed at the highest of levels in the postseason. I hate load management because it rips off families. It rips off those people that scratched out enough money to go to a game and bring kids to a game, and the kids are expecting to see you know, certain stars that are making one visit, perhaps, to your town, and they don't play. And that's heartbreaking. And it's going to turn customers away. I'm sure it already has. It's not good for the sport. It's not good for the image of the players. Well, guess what? Uh, I have someone who has a much bigger voice and a more important voice who agrees a thousand percent. I was listening to Magic Johnson and he went off on it. He said, I hate load management. And then he went on to tell the story that he was at Michael Jordan's 60th birthday party recently. And Jordan pulled him aside to speak to him privately about that very situation, load management, that very topic. And it turned into, as Magic articulated, a half-hour conversation where they talked about, and it wasn't just, you know, hey, the glory days and this is how we did it, but it was about hurting the sport, hurting the game of basketball, and that's what Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan were referring to, not just about, hey, we played every day, but it was more about doing damage to the sport they love. I thought that was interesting. All right, time to uh, visit with Kyle Freeland, who is Mr. Denver. That's why I went through all the sports, because you know what? He's not just a, a Colorado Rocky. 
I mean, he loves the Broncos. He loves the Avalanche. He loves the Nuggets. He's he's going to be in the front seat at every venue that he can be at. He's he's the number one fan, and he's passionate about everything he does. He's passionate when he roots for the aforementioned teams, and you know he brings great passion when he takes the hill. He's a fighter. He he gets the absolute most out of his talent. He also made. In San Diego, in his victory over the Padres last Friday, one of the great defensive plays you will ever see a pitcher make. This is softly hit. Kyle jump throw. What a play! You may not see a better, more athletic play by a pitcher this year. All right, how many times have you watched it? Be honest. How many times? I've watched it a good amount. You know, that's that's, that's one of those plays as a pitcher. You know, we, we pride ourselves on, and uh, and and we definitely you know hold high in the in the stuff that we do uh, when when we're not pitching, when we have to field our position. So I've watched it a good amount of times. And, and you ought to. So your phone had to blow up after the game the next day. What was the funniest text you got from uh, from one of your buddies? Um, probably the funniest was uh, one of my ex-coaches that I had at Evansville, Andy Pasco, texted me and uh, he said, um, "said nice outing, nice play. You're still movie bitch though." When <laughs> freshman freshman on a college bus, uh, you know, you're you, you got duties to do, and one of them is movies. There you go. You know what? I um, I've watched it a couple of times, and I don't know if I've ever seen. I don't know if I've ever seen that play really from a pitcher. I mean, you see him go over there, and a lot of times you just got to put it in your pocket, right? Yeah, it's it's one of those plays. I mean, it's it's, it's a do-or-die play um, with, with a ball that's hit that softly almost right up the line. You, you really don't have time to, you know, plant your feet and get your momentum going the opposite way to, to make that throw. And then you got to, one, put a lot on that throw, and two, make it accurate. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those do or dies where, you know, as kids growing up watching Jeter, you know, make those plays, watching Tulo make those plays, you know, you, you try them out when you're when you're messing around at baseball practice or whatever, and you, you kind of get a feel for it of, of what you need to do, and if the situation arises, you know, you can you can give it a try. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's one of those plays, do or die. You feel that cleanly, got to get that, got to get a good transfer, um, but definitely not easy to make. Do you think it helps at all the fact that people, most people don't know this unless they're listening intently to us? And we, every once in a while, I'll point out that you like to take ground balls as short before, uh, you know, before infield, and, and you guys are taking a lot of ground balls. Uh, but you're always out there at shortstop taking ground balls. That help? Yeah, you know, I think staying athletic um, is very big, not only just in general, but for me, you know. You know, feeling feeling those agilities. You know, getting down, feeling the ground ball, not just off a mound, but you know, in different areas where you know you got to maybe you know pick a short pop or you know drop step. Just, just being athletic. Um, it's actually kind of funny uh, when I was with Team USA, Mookie watching his watching the way he works during practice. Takes fly balls in the outfield, takes ground balls in the outfield, then he comes in the infield, takes ground balls. When I asked him, like, dude, are you gonna play everywhere this year? And his response was, I, I just like, you know, working and continuing to feel that athleticism where I'm not just like standing in one spot doing nothing. 
this is probably a dumb one, Kyle. I just thought of it, but you know, you've been able to make uh, a, the major leagues as a left-handed pitcher, all right? So it's not like you probably think about this and go, "Boy, I wish I was right-handed," given how well you've done as a left-handed pitcher or first-round pick and great success, etc. But knowing the athlete you are, was there a point in time you go, man, I wish I was right-handed so I could play shortstop or I could catch or whatever? Um, I think growing up, there was a little bit of that because, you know, you're limited. You're either pitching, playing first base, or playing the outfield. And I, I always like being in the mix of, of the action. So that's that's one where I fell in love with pitching is, is I, I'm in the mix. I'm controlling the game. Um, it's on me. But yeah, growing growing up, you know, I wanted to play everywhere. Obviously, obviously couldn't. Um, tried to be a two-way at college, and my uh, West Carroll shut that down real quick. Um, but yeah, I mean, it goes goes back to just you know wanting to be an athlete every, everywhere that you can. Did you get any ABs your freshman year at Evansville? No, I, I went in uh, the day I got to Evansville when my parents dropped me off. Met with uh, met with Wes, and you know, asked him like, hey, you know, I'd, I'd like to potentially try and you know two-way you know play outfield and hit <laughs> and he, he asked me uh he said well do you know what your 60 time is and I didn't know it off the top of my head he's like well it's got to be faster than a 6 6 because that's what our center fielder runs Kevin Kazmarski I'm like ah it's not that fast <laughs> so uh so he he bit that in the ass real quick you know that Buster Posey used to take the gear off and close in the ninth inning huh so yeah. it, there's plenty of guys at two-way yeah yeah he he played uh he had one game where he played every single position in the game. At, at Florida, Florida State? State. Why does that not surprise me? All right, I got to ask you about uh, Team USA. And I remember when you first came back, I mean, you, you, it's like you had permagrin on for, for 48 hours, didn't you? Yeah, that was an experience unlike any other. It was playoff baseball in the middle of March, and you get to do it with the best in the world against the best in the world. And it's one of those experiences that's that's hard to explain because you see very raw and true emotion coming from not only your team but the teams you're playing against and their fan bases of how much pride they take in of representing their country. And you know we we were the exact same way. You know we we wanted to represent the United States in the best possible way, go out and win the whole thing, repeat. Unfortunately, it didn't happen, but you know that atmosphere right out of the gate before the season even starts is you know it, it helps kind of propel that momentum of all right this is what this is what we're fighting for this is that feeling that we want to have and you know bring that back to the Rockies and like this, this is what this is like this is what playoff baseball is like and you know getting back to that feeling after what five years not having that feeling since 2018 it's it's something that it hits you immediately and you're just like yeah that's that's what I want. Was it the same juice to when you took the mat at Wrigley Field? Yeah, very, very similar. Um, you know, it, there, there's you know different ways to think about it. Like obviously, you know, when you're with your club, you're grinding the whole season with them. You know, from spring training all the way till you know end of the season playoffs. So like, it's a somewhat different feeling, but at the same time, it's the same. You're playing extremely meaningful games. Uh, in a game that where you're representing your country, not not just you know your state or the club that you play for, you're representing um, everyone in that aspect. So it, there there are a lot of similarities, there are some differences, but overall, just an experience that uh, I'm going to encourage a lot of guys. If they have, have the opportunity to play for their country, go do it. Yeah, I hope you're back there with them in, in 2026. One of the things that that fascinates me about that 
is you, when you talk to guy when I when I talk to you twenty years from now and your career's over and you're looking back, I guarantee you'll be like so many guys. You remember, you know, the great moments, but it's the camaraderie, the clubhouse, being being with the guys. And unlike an all star game where it's really you know it's fast, it's twenty four hours, and then guys are out of town. To be able to sit there and see how guys interact and who are the alphas and stuff. What was the room like over over that two week period? Um. It, it took a couple days. Obviously, there, there was guys you know on Team USA who were teammates or uh, or ex teammates with with guys on the team, and it took a couple days for all of us to, you know kind of get a feel for one another and, and start meshing together. But we we really did. We meshed together almost immediately, and being able to be in the same room as Mike Trout, Goldschmidt, back with Nolan, Adam Wainwright, who's just done everything in this game as a pitcher uh it was it was incredible to sit there and hear listen to conversations have conversations learn stuff um i've, I've said it multiple times but i was really excited to get in there and pick wayno's brain now and i was able to and, and he's taught me some stuff that you know hopefully i can i can apply to to myself my mentality my arsenal and uh and use it going forward and, and He's one of those guys that is an open book, and he wants to teach, he wants to learn, and he's just an all-around baseball guy. You know, him doing it for 18 years now is something special. You know what strikes me about that? Obviously, he was very close with Yadier Molina. And Yadier, this is before you were – you may have still been in Evansville. This goes way back. But remember Willene Rosario? Mm-hmm. And Willene could hit. I mean, he had a lot of power. Catching was always a work in progress, if you will. And I'll never forget this. It was about 3 in the afternoon for a 7 o'clock game. Yadier Molina, the Cardinals, is helping Willeen Rosario of the Rockies on setup, taking him through different drills, helping him out. And and that's what I just thought of when you told me, here's Adam Wainwright, late obviously in a great, great career, talking, pitching, and the art of pitching with a guy he's going to compete against maybe in a few days. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, he wanted to come out and watch guys' bullpens. He encouraged guys to come out and watch his pens. Um, and just, you, you never know. And he knows this. You never know when you're going to pick something up or something, like you say something to a guy or show him a grip and it just clicks immediately. Like, wow, that that makes so much sense and I can apply that right here and now. And he, he's one of those guys, and I was so grateful to learn what I learned from him and you know, be able to share a couple weeks in a clubhouse with a guy like that. So who gravitated to who? Like, you got Trout, you got Betts in there, Nolan, Goldschmidt, as you mentioned. So, so many great stars. Was there one guy maybe that, like, people were still, I don't want to say in awe, but, man, somewhat stood above others? Was it Trout? <laughs> Griffey. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot. I forgot. You, you uh, look at your coaching uh, staff, right? Yeah, you know, I'd probably say Griff. You know, when you walk into a room and, and you see a guy like that and see what he's done for the game and all of his accomplishments, it's it's just kind of a moment like just real. Um, for the player wise, you know, it was one of those things like it, it's that brotherhood where you know I compete against you, but we're teammates now, and you know, obviously you'll the Mike Trout's and Mookie Betts with this game. It is awesome to you know put on the same uniform as them and play with them and have them have your back and you have their back. Um, but I don't think it, it was really like that of like guys walking in and being like, oh my god, Mike Trout. It was more like, hey, let's let's get to work. Let's let's be teammates. Let's be brothers and let's uh, let's go accomplish a goal. 
I've said this before about Trout in particular, that people don't realize how friggin' big and strong he is. Um, were you that way, even though you've been on the same field with him before? Yeah, you, you see him. You see him. You know, on the field and you play against him. Um, but when you get up and up close to him, he's he's a video game player. Literally, if you were to build a guy in the show of how you wanted of speed, power, build, everything, it's it'd be Mike Trout. And then uh, the contrast to that is people don't realize probably that Mookie Betts, if he's walking down the street, he's one of the last guys you're going to go, oh, there goes a great athlete or a professional athlete of any kind because, he, you know, he's not that big. Yeah, no, he, he's not, but he's uh, he's definitely going to outwork anyone uh, on the field, that's for sure. And that's the one thing that I, I noticed right off the bat with him is he is a constant worker. Uh, reminded me a lot of how Nolan went about his day-to-day business of making sure he checked off every single box that he needed to so his mind was right for that game for that game that night and he does it over the course of every single season every single day more with drew and kyle freeland right after this steel products they're the best s-t-i-h-l and they have a dealer right around the corner from you it's april it's time to get that yard fixed up time to get the program going around your house and get things in uh, tip-top shape with the summer right around the corner go to steelusa.com or steeldealers.com to find the dealership that is closest to you and check out their website man they have literally every product you can imagine and many you could not that will help you spruce up the garden spruce up the backyard the front yard make you the envy of the neighborhood that's steel s-t-i-h-l steeldealers.com steelusa.com It's baseball season, which means I'm probably tripling up on my Boyer's coffee these days. See, I have at least one in the morning and maybe another one. But when I get to the ballpark, I'm definitely having my mocha from Boyer's coffee. You know, they have a cafe on the club level. Outstanding. It's busy, too, uh, because their coffee's great. You can get it at home as I do. Go to boyerscoffee.com. They have a multitude of great flavors, and they've been brewing wonderful coffee since the mid-60s here in Colorado, and they're a huge, huge partner of the Colorado Rockies and uh, and our little podcast as well. We greatly appreciate Boyer's Coffee. So go check them out and have uh, great coffee delivered to your house or find it at uh, one of your favorite markets, boyerscoffee.com. Now back to Drew and Rockies opening day starter, Kyle Freeland. You know what? You're a big fuel guy, a chip on the shoulder guy. And I mean, that. It, we've talked about that. I, I love guys that have that and find reason to have that and, and can drive down the street. And, and if you're playing a pickup basketball game for 45 minutes, you'll find, you'll find something you don't like about whoever you're competing against, even if they were Mother Teresa's kids, right? So when you got ready for this season and you see the Rockies dismissed as a contender and that sort of thing, fuel for you yeah i mean that's it's not new news i mean it's it's been going on ever since you know 2019 really um i mean even before that even when we went to the playoffs we were we were counted out you know almost immediately um obviously an injury bug has hit us with with some guys who can definitely help propel this team but 
you know, that goes across the league. You can't, you can't, you know, feel bad about yourself because your gold glove second baseman is, is out with a shoulder injury for an extended period of time. You still got work to do. Um, you know, and I, I believe that I, I'm going to play with a chip on my shoulder every year, whether we're favorites or whether we're slated to take last place. Um, that's just, you know, who I am, how I was raised to play this game. When you look at your arsenal and you are a worker, um, what did you do coming into this year in addition to getting ready for Team USA? And you talked about, you know, picking the brain of a guy like Adam Wainwright. He's got a Ph.D., obviously, in pitching. What what did you tinker with to say, this is how I'm going to be better in, in 2023 than I was in 2022? Uh, so for me, uh, we're continue to work on my changeup. That's going to be something that I'm going to not be fighting my whole career, but it's going to be something where I'm going to have to consistently be conscious of making adjustments with it. Um, another part was uh, getting getting some more depth to my slider, getting the, sli- getting the depth back to my slider. Um I've noticed over the past couple of years, it's gotten gotten very cutterish, um, a lot of horizontal movement, which which still plays, and I can still use that in my arsenal. But getting getting that good hard slider that has depth to the back foot, getting that back, that's something that I I focused on. You know, mess with my grip a little bit to you know get the right spin and, and get the right angle of that pitch uh, moving to where I want it to go. When you're in the dugout in between starts, we get shots of you, and you know you may be uh, you know standing or sitting next to Herman or, or one of you it's, it's typically somebody who's uh, a, a starting pitcher what are the conversations in game like uh, yeah. I'm talk, sure they vary yeah, but they, they, they definitely vary but you know from a baseball aspect it's it's talking it's, it's talking about baseball it's talking about hitters uh, when Gomber came out of his start um, in San Diego immediately was talking to him about uh, Bogarts and kind of like attack plan, like how he went about it, what we both saw in video, what we both saw with his swings. And, you know, that's information that we're going to be able to carry and move forward with. So it's it's, it's talking shop about baseball. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. What have you noticed about Herman, who's, uh, as we uh, speak today, he's going tonight against the Dodgers. And, and it seems like, and Herman, is, Herman to me is similar to you, but different. He, he's not as demonstrative. You wear your emotions on your sleeve, but I mean, I know how close you guys are. He he is really driven, and, and I know he was upset with how last year went. Is that what you've seen? Yeah, I think I think he's, you know, kind of going to be on a little bit of a revenge tour this year. Um, obviously, last year did not go at all what we expected out of him and what he expects out of himself. Um, he has one of the highest ceilings I've ever seen from, from a teammate and a pitcher with the raw talent he has, the stuff that he can throw. He's one of those guys that, you know, I think last year was a gut punch to him. And this year, you saw in spring training and you saw in his first outing, he's uh, he's out for blood. Yeah. All right, man. I'll let you fly. What uh, you, you're gonna get back to Denver, your hometown, for the first time in uh, in months? Where's the first place you go dine? <laughs> I think uh, me and my wife uh, tomorrow night we got a reservation at uh, Matsuisa. Good choice, Kyle. Thanks, man. Good luck next start. Absolutely appreciate it. Kyle Freeland's the best. And earlier we were talking about home openers. And we, you know, we went through EYs and, and Bichettes and Barmaces. You know what? Kyle Freeland wrote a nice little chapter for Coors Field openers when he made his Major League debut in 2017. Made his Major League debut in 2017. So he's got to be nervous. 
major league debut, and he's pitching the home opener, and he's from Colorado. He's from Denver. He was a huge Rockies fan. He used to go to a bunch of games. And oh, by the way, he's facing the favorite to win it all, year in and year out, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And all he does is pitch six innings of one-run baseball, limits that vaunted Dodger lineup to four hits, struck out six, walked two. That was an all-time opening day or home opening day performance. We don't want to leave that one out. 2017, Kyle Freeland, the kid from TJ, announcing his arrival. Good stuff. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, opening day. If you're listening to it after, if you're listening to it tomorrow morning when the uh, show launches, I hope you're going. I hope you enjoy opening day as uh, we're underway in the Major League season 2023. A lot of stuff going on as we march into April. I didn't even mention the NCAA tournament. Great ride. It was fun uh, following San Diego State. The right team won. UConn blew everybody out. Uh, They won their umpteenth championship. Uh, But it was fun seeing... Uh, some underdogs in the Final Four. And it was fun, uh, particularly being in San Diego and the attachment that, that Buddy Black and Alan Trejo and Keith Duggar, good friends, uh, had with, uh, with the Aztecs. And it was good for the Mountain West, a conference that uh, I've worked in uh, quite a bit through the years and, and a conference I root for. So I didn't want to leave out the NCAA tournament. That'll do it for this edition of the uh, podcast. Spread the love, my friends. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll chat again in seven days. Stay well. Take care.